Hey, welcome to the Living the Dream podcast. This is your host, Timmy Douglas, and the goal of this podcast is to create a community that inspires action, accountability, celebrates progress, and helps people make the right connections to take that next step towards their dreams and goals. If you're looking for any one-on-one coaching to pinpoint your purpose and start taking steps in that direction, make sure to contact me on my website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, or on social media. On that note, let's get into the show. All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Living the Dream podcast. Today on the show, we have Dr. Mitchell Yass, who is going to talk to us a little bit about chronic pain and just kind of the misinformation around that. And so, Dr. Mitchell Yass, how are you doing today? It's great to be with you, Tim. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Love to spread the gospel and the message that being pain-free and fully functional is within the capacity of most people once they get the right information. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So before we jump into that, tell us a little bit more about yourself and some of the stuff you like to do for fun. Um, so um, I am this, this quest that I've been put on is basically a very important aspect to my life. Um, uh, I, I think that it's critical that uh, people know there's this alternative because basically the medical bohemian is perceived to be a monopoly and therefore even if you're um, not getting better, you don't really think that there's an alternative outside of that. So this takes up a lot of my time. But outside of that, um, I have a daughter that I love to spend time with. Um, definitely into golf. Weightlifting is an integral part of my life. Um, I've been lifting weights for 35 years. I put 60 pounds of muscle on. Um, love the aspect of socio- sociology. Love to meet people love to understand people, how they think, what they think. I think that's a a wonderful thing. Um, In terms of many people like to read, many people like to watch TV, um, I get a much greater satisfaction out of doing things. I I think that's where I get my greatest enjoyment from. So that's kind of roughly about. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. And so tell us a little bit more about your background in the medical field and how you've come to your um, conclusions? Sure. So uh, I I was the project manager in construction. That was my first job. And I did that for five years. And uh, I kind of just lost interest in it. It wasn't very satisfying. And it got to the point where it was basically like just doing their job to make uh, for the sake of making a living. And most people who have experienced that know that's not very satisfying, rewarding, and you can't survive that for very long. You're just going to be unhappy. So um, I quit construction and I, I was 30 years old and my parents told me that some of their friends' children had found out about this physical therapy thing. And um, the great part about physical therapy was you got to work with the body, but you hadn't, didn't have to go the full length of becoming a physician. And um, just prior to this was when I began weightlifting. I had self-esteem issues growing up. I was uh, the guy who got the sand kicked in his face kind of guy. And I wanted to improve myself. So where most people, and even I initially go to Joe Weider magazines or Arnold Schwarzenegger magazines, for some reason, I had the foresight to actually take a high school physics course and apply physics laws to weightlifting. I mean, everything from understanding the fulcrum, lever arms, um, uh, kinetic energy, potential energy, all this crazy stuff. And that's how I based my understanding of weightlifting, which over a four year period allowed me to put on 40 pounds of muscle. So that happens just before I get into school, 
which gave me the ability to have some insight as to how muscle worked and things of that nature. And so once I got into school, I just sensed that what was being taught in terms of the use of diagnostic testing to identify the cause of pain didn't really make sense because ultimately when you are finally out there and treating somebody, to me, the logical thing to say, the very first question I have for people was, where's your pain? Point to where your pain is. And what I was able to establish was where they were pointing to was not the place it should be if the identified structural variation like a herniated dystenosis or an arthritis were to make pain. It wasn't where it should be. So as a result of that, you have to conclude that's not the tissue creating the pain the person's experiencing. And luckily, because of this background that I had, I started sensing that it was muscle. And as time progressed, I started recognizing that in more than 98% of cases, the cause of pain is muscular, meaning that the reason the person is experiencing their pain is because there's a muscular deficit. And all you have to do is know which muscles are responsible, do the appropriate strengthening using progressive resistance, and you get the person pain-free and fully functional in an extremely short period of time. And basically, it's been 28 years of me heightening my understanding, honing the ability to do this. And now through the advent of Zoom, I do this with people all over the world. And it's um, very satisfying. Uh, it's wonderful. It is, uh, I feel blessed. In fact, I believe that I was given the ability to learn this from a higher power because it is so important. And so many people, roughly 1 billion people worldwide are suffering from chronic pain. People need to know this exists. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love that. And so tell us a little bit more about your motivation there and what gets you up and keeps you going every day doing this. Yeah. So I guess the greatest motivating fact came from, you know, I, I was like hundreds of thousands of other people that go through these medical schools and everybody else just seemed to be the type of person that said, okay, this is what I was taught. And so I'm going to follow that. But for some reason, almost feeling God given, I was given the ability and the desire to say, well, let me start from scratch and just ask these questions, which seemed like quite obvious questions to me, which led me on a path that's completely different from everybody else, which led me to develop this understanding. And so I would say my overriding motivation is that I think I'm being used as a conduit for a higher power. By far, that is the biggest, biggest motivating factor. Now, combine that with the fact that because what I do is so extremely outside the medical system, the average person only finds out about me after they've tried all the other types of mechanisms and they fail. So the average person comes to me as a last resort. Well, that leads people who, in fact, are suicidal to come to me. These are people who literally walk up to me or face to face with me and say to me that you are my last resort. I have tried everything else. If you do not resolve my pain, I'm putting a bullet in my head tomorrow. I've had hundreds of people that have come to me in that situation. That is unbelievably sobering. It puts a stress on you that you can't imagine, which ultimately led me to have psychological and emotional problems in this path, which finally, luckily, I was able to find enlightenment, and that helped me through this period of time. But certainly, you spend enough time with enough people who want to kill themselves because they can't live another day with pain, that's a pretty good motivating factor. 
that's that's that motivates you to say it's not enough just to know this. It's not enough just to treat these people. You need to be getting out there and trying to reach people way, way, way before they reach the point at which they're saying, I think it's better to be dead than alive. So that kind of thing has really pushed me. And then the other motivating factor are the thousands of people who have come to me after the fact and actually said, you did save my life. I couldn't be a mother to my child. I couldn't work for my family. I couldn't take care of my parents. I couldn't do this. I couldn't do this. And through your understanding and guidance, you allowed me to reclaim my life after I had tried every other type of thing that was the standard of care for pain. Every one of those is an overwhelming motivational aspect. And it's what makes me wake up every day with joy. And every day I go to sleep with joy. And I would say to anybody on a daily basis, I feel like I'm floating on air. Like I have been given a path to follow that is so special. Um, and, and I relish it so that every day I live the best life I can um, to justify that I was given this opportunity. So I think those are really good examples of the things that motivate me. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I love how your motivation is, you know, it's so far outside of yourself because we can often, um, when it's coming intrinsically, you know, sometimes we can give up on ourselves and our own inner motivations if it's solely for us. But when it's for other people, like you said, that stress and that responsibility, you just can't, you can't forget it. So, yeah. And I think one of your point, one of the points I could say is that the way that I came out of that emotional distress and all the pressures that I was putting on myself was in fact, two years ago, I became enlightened and in becoming enlightened, it is to say that you live outside of your ego. You, you don't basically have an ego. So nothing is measured on yourself. Um, something is not good or bad. Uh, you don't have good or bad relationships. They simply are. And it's never a question of measuring what's happening or the individuals you are with on a relationship to your self-worth or your self-esteem. Because once you become enlightened, you, I mean, I describe it as I have this crystal that's lit and that's who I am. And any individual or event that happens outside of that cannot affect that. So I am free to be fully engaged in everything I do, in every interaction I have. And it allows these situations to be so over the top in terms of the value that can be gained from it. You can't gain that kind of value. You can't give yourself at that level if you're always wondering, am I a good person? Am I a bad person? Is this about me? Is that about me? You know, when you're thinking the world evolves around you, that, that the majority of that is thought, number one. And the only way to be truly enlightened is to live in your heart without thought. So at any one moment, I'm not thinking other than in, in terms of the thing I'm involved with at the moment. And um, I, I think that's been the greatest thing that's come from all of this personally. I mean, it's great that I help all these people. But to now live this selfless, 
um, life that there is, I, I just simply love myself. I, I, I love what I stand for. And it frees me up to not have to constantly need some sort of satisfaction to make me feel good about myself. I, I'm good. And it just allows me to be fully engaged and, and helpful to others. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to reach. It's a really amazing feeling. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, it sounds amazing from how you describe it. And it's something we're all, you know, we're all shooting for it. We're yeah. all shooting for it, yeah. whether we know yeah. it or not, too, whether we know it or not. So let's go ahead and jump into your dreams and goals. What are you, what's your vision for the YAS method and just your life in general? So the great news about what happened to me is that I, through the enlightenment, have now separated myself as an individual from the method. I always saw it as me and, and they're intertwined. They are completely different. I'm just Mitchell Yas. I'm a guy. I'm a father. Uh, I, I love to spend time with my daughter. I enjoy every moment of my life. And the, the satisfaction for me as an individual is simply living every moment. I don't need a billion dollars. I don't need a fancy car. I don't need shit. I literally need nothing. I need nothing to be happy. Simply being in the moment is pure joy. It, it's, it's, it's all you need to have this incredible sensation of, um, of satisfaction. Of, uh, the best way to describe it is a quietness in my soul. It's very quiet. I, I, I have no turmoil. I'm just at peace. So yeah. for me, I have found the ultimate goal and I'm living it every day. For the YAS method, which is independent, the goal is to, and it's quite amazing to find out, that I only found out about this idea of trying to reach people and making them aware of the Yas Method through podcasts about two months ago, very short period of time ago. So I'm using this, I think, as a wonderful platform. Um, ultimately, I'm, I intend to do whatever I have to do to create enough awareness to make this available to as many people as possible. And another part of enlightenment is the understanding of the difference between righteousness and wisdom. And this was a big thing. So there's 130 million Americans, roughly 1 billion people worldwide suffering from chronic pain. So I used to say, God, I suck at what I do. I must suck because I have this ability to resolve this pain. And if these people aren't getting that, that's my fault. Again, an attack on myself. Once I became enlightened and said, I'm just a guy and I can do the best I can with what I do. That's not my fault. I came to the understanding that righteousness is knowing that I have this method and I am more than willing to have anyone contact me, discuss it. If someone wants to challenge it from a medical perspective, I'm, I'm more than happy to do it. I have the scientific, clinical and theoretical evidence that makes this irrefutable. But wisdom is knowing that I can only help those that seek the need for this. So if there are those people out there and they are unfortunately coerced or brainwashed to think the MRI is the answer and herniated discs and stenosis and, and, and meniscal tears because they're identified at the cause of the, at the time they're having their pain is the cause. I can't fix that. that. That's not me. They have to be willing to move away from that and seek this. Then I can help them. So in all of this, 
I'm now at peace and I'm just basically trying to do whatever I can in terms of an awareness situation. And simultaneously, what's happened is I become a, become a certif- I, I created a certification program for additional people to now be able to do Zoom. Uh, the majority of what I do is on Zoom because I do this for people around the world. Um, so the goal is to certify people so they could do these Zoom sessions, and that will allow more and more people to have access to the sessions and the method. So in the long run, our goal is to have a corporation that um, might have 50 to 100 people doing Zoom sessions, maybe 50,000 to 100,000 sessions a year. Um, I want to create my own line of resistance bands because there's certain things about resistance bands you can't get based on the way that they're produced. And there's things that I want to have that are associated with that. My own line of resist uh, exercise videos because God forbid you go on the internet and you want to learn how to do an exercise oh my god you're yeah. pretty much destined to find something that's going to hurt you and then online courses is the other aspect just to make this information as accessible as possible that's the dream that that's where i want this to go and um we'll see what happens it will be <laughs> once you become enlightened the great news is i don't know where the path is i don't know where i'm going to be in 10 years from now and i'm okay with that Whatever it's going to be, it's going to be. It's in a higher power's hands, and I'm just doing what I think is best, and it makes it real easy. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome, man. I love that. I love those real practical goals and your perspective of separating yourself oh. from the YAS method and the goals, because um, that's really important. So I guess our next question is, what caused you to take that first step towards really going forward with the YAS method? So... I think that if someone were to look at my life, you would see my childhood as the start of where all this began. And it's really just been a continuum. So um, my father's degree is in physics. He's this really, really smart guy. And when I was a child, I thought he was the most amazing person in the world. I didn't want to be an athlete. I didn't want to be an entertainer. I just wanted to be as smart as my father. So my father taught me analytical thinking when I was a child. I mean, pure logical thinking, data in, data out. There is nothing that comes through my brain that doesn't go through the logical filter. And then I determine it as fact or not fact. I don't care who says what. It does, I don't care who says it. It's either logical or not logical. I accept it or I don't accept it. It doesn't matter from where it comes from. So I'm a free thinker, basically, is what it is. I think on my own. I create theory. So... You combine that with the fact that I had the self-esteem issue. And I, again, very fortunate because of this understanding, I was able to take a high school physics course. And that got me to understand weightlifting and a lot of super high level understandings of how the body works and creating exercise and things. So then I think that, you know, I tried, I thought I was supposed to do something special. I always thought that even from when I was a child. And so I thought it was going to be that I was going to make these great buildings, but it became obvious that wasn't the answer. So five years after that, I quit. And then I found physical therapy and I found it fairly easy to entrench myself into the information and to begin to create my own theories about what was happening, especially once I reached the point of doing affiliations. And now I'm actually treating people now. 
the rubber has to hit the road. And now the person's standing there and they want to be out of pain and you're going to have to do something for them. And so I think all of that helped me to, upon seeing that what I was taught wasn't matching what, what I found in the, in the individual. And then primarily one of the great gifts that I was ever given, and I, I pray everyone would eventually have this characteristic is, I have no fear. I have no fear. I don't care if I failed a gazillion times. It doesn't matter to me because ultimately every time I fail, it's just a lesson that helps me move towards the goal, the ultimate goal, whatever that goal is, wherever I think I'm supposed to be, there's going to be, if you're not out there testing the waters, you're never going to know if you could swim. How, how oh, yeah. would you know? So, so you, you just can't have fear. And so I'm seeing that I, I seem to be going in this different path and, you know, it, there is definitely a point at which you are in this gray area <laughs> and the gray area is saying, are you a physical therapist that just has a unique twist to it? Or are you in fact creating something that nobody else has ever thought of? And it is very, very hard on you because you don't really want to be this person that says that they've created something new when somebody else says, you're out of your mind. That's the round. It's always been here. And so there were a, a year, two, three years where things were really tough on me mentally. And I was constantly in this battle. I would constantly be coming up with new things that I've never heard anyone else talk about. But it was always that nagging feeling. Is this just an add on or, you know, it was stuff like that. And at some point, I finally just said, you know what, I just, especially when it came to the point that, as far as I know, I'm the only person on the planet saying the MRI should be abolished as the primary mechanism for diagnosing and treating pain. I'm pretty sure I'm the only one saying that. I've never heard anyone say that. And again, I have all the theoretical, scientific, and clinical evidence, so I'm good with it. Um, but I, I, I think that, that that's where the, that, that's, it, it came from my childhood, lessons I learned lessons about myself reaching a point at which you either follow what everybody else is saying or you go on your own path and ultimately the greatest aspect characteristic that i had was i just didn't have fear once i said i think i should go on my own i just i was going to do it and um what I made you that helped me. not have fear though I, 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 to be very honest with you, I think it's a lesson that my father taught me. It's not a, it's not an experience type of situation. Initially, you have to be taught. It's a, it's a, it's a mindset. It always has the idea of no fear has to start off as a mindset. We all start off and we're growing up. Let's say that, um, you know, as kids, we all basically all do the same thing. We play in the sandbox. We, we, you know, we go on the slide, we all play together and there's no separation of anybody. And then once you kind of hit sixth and seventh and eighth grade, well, now sports gets integrated in and now up, oh, we're starting to see except there's some people who are good at sports and some people who are bad at sports and some people are like to meet the opposite sex and others are better at meeting friends. And, and now we're starting to see separation. And that's when the initial sense 
the challenge to your self-worth and self-esteem can begin. And I think in my particular case, I had issues of self-esteem and self-worth. And I think what I did was I tried to mask that by saying, well, if I'm successful, I must be a good person. And I think in my initial, I'm talking about when I was 12, 13, and 14, I think that was the initial impetus that I had to use this idea of, you know, don't be afraid. You got to go out there because the only way you'll be successful is if you challenge it. And if you challenge it and you're successful, well, then you must be a good person. And it was really not the, <laughs> that's not the right answer, but yeah. it is what I used initially. Um, and I, I'll, be, I'll tell you one thing that was very helpful was the weightlifting. So when you're a guy who's got, you know, who had a sand kicked in his face, really thin guy, and then over four years, you put on 40 pounds of muscle. It's not so much just the physical resultant. It's the idea that you challenged yourself and you were successful at the challenge. Mm -hmm. So I think that was one of the most initial places where I saw success. And that certainly gave me confidence to continue to try things. I love that. I love that, especially because there are so many ways that people could challenge themselves, be successful at that challenge, and then their self-confidence, how they feel about themselves, just skyrockets and it opens yeah. doors wide open. Yeah. And, I, and, and, and so now that I'm enlightened in, the, in this place where I don't have ego, um, I would just say that I don't necessarily want, and, and I, I like to talk about this, not just the physical pain, because I've come through on the other side so much. So I really feel uh, I like to speak about emotion and um, intellect and, um, and, and spirit and mental state um, as well. And so I don't want, and I think there is this issue that's out there that success equals good person. I'm good because I'm successful. That's why, you know, you try to be good in sports and all that stuff. Now, that sounds good while you're being successful. But what happens when you begin to fail? Because you okay. will fail. If you're out there and you're challenging yourself, you're going to fail. Yeah, you have to. It's by nature. You know, uh, what is it? Edison took a thousand patents to make the light bulb, right? Michael yep. Jordan didn't make it on his high school basketball team. It, it, there's all the stories out there. Right. So if you've attached your self-worth and your self-confidence to success, if you're not successful, you're going to get a hit. And what I would try to just get people to understand is it's great to be successful just for the pleasure, just for the pleasure of putting the effort in and following the journey to get to the end point. It's not necessarily a direct correlation to who you are as a person. Are you good or bad? Do you have confidence or not? You should have confidence no matter what. You should have self-worth no matter what. And I know I'm telling you from personal experience, that's a tendency that happens um, is that there's a connection to success and self-worth and confidence. I just would love people to say, I just want to challenge myself because I'm here on earth. It's a good thing to do. It's a satisfying thing to do. And if I make it great, if not, I'll learn from it and then I'll challenge myself again. But the success or non-success must be maintained independent of your sense of your self-worth. You are a great person. You were born a great person. 
what do you, and this is, this is so interesting. So if you notice what we're talking about, we're talking about success and self-worth and stuff like that. So the implication is that there's some direct, so if you make a lot of money, you're good. If you're successful at a sport, you're good. Well, what happens when we go over and we see a relative or a friend baby? We go and we hug them and we kiss them and we play with them and we get this incredible joy. What is the baby offering? Nothing. What scholarship did they win? What what prize did they get? What nothing. Nothing. In fact, they take a lot. <laughs> right, right. But the ultimate concept is they provide joy simply because they are. Yep. Well, that's you at 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, or 80. You were the same person. You provide joy just by being. You don't need to be successful to love yourself or to be a good person. If you want to be successful, that's great. I'm, I consider myself to be successful, right? But I have completely separated the two, and I enjoy the success simply for the enjoyment of the journey and the ups and downs that come and the ability to get off the floor when you do get that little setback and then you come forward. But regardless of that, I'll still love myself no matter what the outcome. And I, I just think that's kind of a coolish little separator that I just think it's important for people to hear that. Because oh, the, yeah. the world is just so freaking competitive, man. It is. And, and I, I, I'm afraid, and I know it was me, you get lost in the competition. And while you're successful, it's great. But boy, when you hit that failure, your sense about yourself can really be damaged. And, and, and if you've learned to separate your self-worth, your self-esteem, and the journey of success, I think you're going to just be a happier and healthier person. Absolutely. No, I love that. I love that. Well, awesome, man. If you, uh, if there was one type of person you could meet right now that would help you take the next step towards taking the YAS method to the next level, who would they be and how would they do it? So I don't, <laughs> I don't need anybody in terms of teaching me any more about the method. I don't need any. I have a friend that's trying to help me with the business issue. Quite simply, it would be an influencer, right? I mean, it, it, it's kind of straightforward. If you're on the outside... And I mean, the inside is this behemoth, which is a global medical establishment. It's a battle to get anyone to walk away from it and say, you know, why don't you just come over here a second and just listen. And if it makes sense, follow this. It's hard. I have to pick people off. You get the right influencer and, and, and they simply go out and say, listen, I tried it at work. I mean, it's, it's, it's not what I want. I want people to enjoy and utilize the method because of the theoretical basis for it, the application and everything. But in terms of creating an understanding that it even exists, I need a microphone, a megaphone. I, I need something to shout it out. And if that requires um, a person who's not well-known, so be it. I'm okay with that. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. I think Grant, Grant Cardone talks about this a little bit in his 10X rule. He talks about how a lot of people's biggest problem is obscurity. And I mean, that's what it is. You just need to get the word out and you need somebody to like make you omnipresent in people's minds and heads. And, and, and I truly believe, and that's the important thing is that I want people to understand. I would never tell someone to use this method because I said so. I'm trying to convey people, 
Look at the information. I have a YouTube channel with like 200 videos on my Facebook and uh, my blog on my website. There's so much. I, I, I write for Bottom Line Health, which is a national subscription newsletter. I write for an international magazine, What Doctors Don't Tell You. I've written three books. I've done a PBS special. There's so much availability of this information. I just want people to look at it, listen to it, digest it, and if it makes sense, utilize it, right? So it's just a question of getting that out there for them to know that it exists as an alternative. Then I can't imagine anyone who hears this or sees this saying, God, that is the most illogical nonsense I've ever heard. I'm not even going to waste my time. It's going to be just the opposite. They're going to say, that is the most logical thing I've ever heard. It makes complete sense. No wonder I've been in pain for a decade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, what's the most important one or two things that everyday people can do to help you get the YAS method out there? Um, the, I think that globally, people are generally fed up with the existing system. Um, the failed surgeries and the addiction to the medications and the, just the absolute failure rate to get the better. So the planet is out there. The planet is out there on the Internet looking, searching and things like that. And the, the sad part is that there's just a lot of bad information out there. Everybody is selling, you know, a pill, a drug, a device, or this or that, another type of treatment. And um, I want this is what I want people. If, if I could get in the ear of every person seeking a remedy to their pain, I would say this to them. Before you accept any treatment, you have to get a proper diagnosis. What does that mean? What is a diagnosis? A diagnosis represents the identification of the tissue in distress creating your symptoms. The tissue isn't functioning properly. It's creating your symptoms to create awareness that it's not functioning properly so you could get an intervention and resolve the distress of that tissue. That stops it from needing to elicit the symptom and your symptoms stop. So how do you get a proper diagnosis? Well, number one, you have to identify a tissue. So for all the people who have been in car accidents and they get the diagnosis whiplash, whiplash isn't a diagnosis. That's not a, that's not a tissue. You can't find whiplash on an anatomy chart, right? You can't find that. So if you go with the diagnosis of whiplash, the, the, the problem is, are we talking about a bone, a muscle, a nerve? I, I don't know what the hell I'm supposed to be treating. So how do you resolve the distress of the tissue if you don't know what the tissue is? So that's why diagnoses like that are baseless, worthless. And yet lots of people end up with the diagnosis and accept it. So right now, the most important thing is you got to know what it means to have a right diagnosis. The diagnosis has to identify a tissue. And most importantly, the symptoms you're experiencing must be the exact same symptoms that the identified tissue would create if it was in distress. So an example is that people have pain around their kneecap and they're told that a meniscus at the knee is causing their pain. The problem with that diagnosis is the meniscus is between the thigh bone and the lower leg bone. The joint between the kneecap and the thigh bone is a completely separate and distinct joint. So you can't tell me that a tissue in one joint is creating pain in another joint. It doesn't work like that. It simply is impossible. So the idea of a diagnosis of meniscal tear being the cause of pain around the kneecap breaks the law. 
that the symptom the person's experiencing is not the symptom that would be created if that tissue in distress what to create pain. So right off the bat, that's what I want everybody to know. I mean, I, you can't seek a treatment. I don't care who's giving it to you. I don't care what their story is, what their credential is. If you personally have not been told that this is the tissue creating your symptom, and I know that because the symptoms you're experiencing are the exact symptoms that tissue creates, don't get, a, don't get a treatment. Stop getting treatment. You want to know why your treatments don't work? Because you're not treating the tissue that's creating your symptoms. The only way to stop the symptoms is to stop the tissue from being in distress. You don't have a choice. It's the way the body works. This is a natural law. Hippocrates created the words diagnosis and symptom. This has gone back as far as man has been looking at, at, at medical medicine. And yet now you have this behemoth that created an organizational law that said, screw symptoms. We're just going to follow whatever the diagnosis is that comes with the MRI. And that's why you have chronic pain. So that is my first lesson to the individual. Make sure you have a right diagnosis. Number two, this is kind of straightforward. If you notice that your symptom occurs as a direct result of doing an activity, if you stand too long, if you go upstairs, if you kneel, if you sit, if you reach, you definitely know that doing an activity brings on your symptom. You've just identified your, the tissue with distress as a muscle because muscle is responsible for activity. So let's go back to this concept. Oh, the meniscal tears the cause of the pain around the kneecap, right? But the pain at the kneecap only comes every time I try to walk upstairs. So are you implying that the tear exists in the meniscus when you're walking upstairs, but it disappears when you go to sit down? Is, is that you want to literally tell me that's true? It's clearly insane. You know what? That's, it's actually funny. I, I play sand volleyball a lot, and I play basketball a lot. And mm -hmm. when I jump, after I've jumped a couple times, my knees start to hurt, right? And they've just been hurting, and they've been hurting, and they've been hurting every time I jump. I started going right. to the gym and I started doing the quadricep, uh, you know, like just the quad yeah. strengthening exercise, yeah. like the machine. And my knee pain has significantly gone down. Right. <laughs> just, a, just a funny observation. Because the reason you're having the pain is that that kneecap, for the excessive force requirement of what you're talking about, that kneecap has to track through the joint properly. Well, if you don't have enough strength of your quad, it might not track exactly to where it's supposed to, and it's going to rub abnormally, which leads to pain. By strengthening the muscle, you're improving the quality of the tracking, thereby allowing you to do the activity without any altered missile, without any misalignment, so you don't have pain. Yeah, and back when I was a full-time athlete, my quads were stronger. I didn't have the same issue. <laughs> right, there you go. There you go. Yeah. But, that, but, but come on, man. Don't you think that, isn't that sounding kind of obvious when you, I know no one hears it, but when you do hear it, doesn't it make sense and shouldn't it make you take pause, especially when the, the individual who's telling you that it's a structural problem also wants to do surgery on that, on that structure? I mean, we, we, we start entering some very dangerous ground here, and yet the person doesn't have to answer the simple question, well, why is it that the pain only comes when I do activity, but 
when I don't do activity, if I'm sitting or laying, I don't have the symptoms. How, how could you justify it as a structural variation? It clearly is not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, on that note, I think we're going to move into our thriving three. And so in this part of the show, we love to hear about how you're taking in information, action you're taking to get to your dreams and goals, and how you like to care for yourself. So the first question is, what's your favorite book, movie, or podcast? Pick one. Um, the, the book that's always closest to me, and whenever I start questioning things about my future and stuff, it, it just sounds a little crazy to people, but it's His Excellency about George Washington. It's the biography of George Washington. And the reason for that is most people don't know George Washington's initial aspect of his life. He was a massive failure. He initially in his early stage uh, became a British officer and had three unbelievable disasters. In fact, one is which he was coming back after encountering the French and he creates a fort. The name of the fort was Fort Necessity. And it turns out that he, he doesn't know anything about building forts. So he has to build this fort and he builds a fort so close to a tree line that they're well within shot of the people in the tree line. And so he's massacred. His entire group of people that he had under his, under his care got massacred. And he has to actually sign something saying that he was responsible for something. And, and there were multiple things like this that happened to this guy. I mean, this guy failed. And he was told he could never be part of the British Army, which is why with that went into tobacco farming. And there's more and more and more. The guy ends up in, in the uh, he, he leaves the Continental Army, uh, the Continental Congress, and he's made the head of the Continental Army. How many people at that moment are part of the Continental Army, the Revolutionary Army? The answer is zero. Him. Him. He's just <laughs> given the command of nobody. And yet he has to create an army that is going to take on the largest military you know, group in the world, the British. And so he goes through all these processes. And even during the Revolutionary War, at one time, there's such a question as to his capability that they suggest that he might have to be taken out and somebody else put in. Horatio Gates is, is suggested to now run the Revolutionary, the, the Continental Army. I mean, it's thing after thing. After, and, and you have to see his writings. You have to know about this guy. He believed in providence. He believed that he was being used by God and that whatever would happen to him was simply a single incident on a path to his greater goal of achieving freedom for the, um, for the, for the colonies. And um, it, 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 his belief in, in his um, providence that God was, was so strong that he had a white horse. George Washington rode a white horse. And there are stories, documented stories, uh, they fought in Napoleonic style. So this was the British and this were the Americans, and they would just fire at one another, one, one after the other. George Washington was known to hold his saber up and ride between them while this is going on with his, with his white horse stirring on the Americans to fight. He never got a bullet. He was never shot. Never shot. They have documented indications that his hat got shot, his coat got shot, he or the horse were never shot. And it was so insane that the Americans thought that, in fact, he was being controlled by God and that God was on their side. So it made them fight even harder. I mean, it's an amazing story. And so 
when you get a chance to just read his writings, you, you just recognize that if you can become enlightened to the point of just giving yourself completely over to faith, that whatever is meant for you to do, you will know at the end. You don't have to know on a daily basis. You simply will know that at the end, you will be shown what your path was meant to be. And that allows you to simply live your day to the fullest. You will have the fullest life. And I am very, I'm 60 years old. At 58, I found enlightenment, and it has been the greatest two years of my life. I have not had a single unhappy day. And I, I, I've known of George Washington for years and years. I've read his books earlier. And um, I feel like I've gotten a chance to have a little part of him in my life, that I have gotten a chance to find what he had found uh, and just allowed myself to live a fulfilling life and just say, whatever this path I'm supposed to take, I'll know it at the end. So that's the book. I love it. I love it. <laughs> What's one way you like to care for yourself? Um, I think the best way to describe that is that I cook for myself consistently. I think 99.9% .9 of the lunch and dinners that I eat, I make. And um, I bought a, sl a slow cooker, which makes it a little easier. And so, um, like, I make soups, and my daughter came over, and she wanted to try a Cuban rice and bean um, a recipe, and um, I just make all these different things. I make my own lasagna, and, and it's just awesome. There is a really satisfying feeling to know that, that you're taking things from scratch, and, you know, you're, you're taking things from the vegetable aisles, and they always talk about the outside aisles where... Most people don't go. Most people stay on the inner aisles where all the, you know, pre-made foods are and the preservatives and all that stuff. And I, I think that the eating, making your own food from um, things that are not preserved, that, that literally are right from the ground kind of thing, I think that's a great, great way to be if you can do it, if you have the time and, you know, you, you have the desire and stuff. I think that's excellent. I think that's critical. Um, that is one thing. And I say the best way, if anyone wants to know my opinion, the number one thing that kills people is stress. I don't care. You could tell me about exercise and I put 60 pounds of muscle on you talk about eating. I don't care what you eat. And I don't care if you work out, if you're stressed out constantly, whether it's through relationship issues, job issues, anything else, you're going to die early. And so the first thing very, very first thing everybody has to do when they first wake up is find a path to peace, to, to lightening the load that you have on your brain. And I'm fortunate in that I found this enlightenment. And so um, I, I think I, I would almost imagine that my heart rate has gone down five beats a minute just from finding this. I mean, like I, I don't I, there is no stress. I, I, I can't have stress. Because if you get to the point of truly believing that what is, is, and what will be, will be, and you're truly willing to give yourself over it to having just pure, absolute faith, there's no expectations. There's no anticipations. You're not saying, oh, I, have, I hope I have this by this time. Oh, I hope I do this by this time. What happens when that doesn't happen? You've set yourself up for failure 
which then leads you to question your self-worth. So if you have no expectation, if you have no anticipation, and you're just simply doing the best you can that day, you put all those best days that you can have together, wherever you're going to be, it's going to be the best you could have had it, right? Because every day you're living the best life. You're not thinking about the future. You're living your best day. And so that, I think, getting the right mindset more than anything else, I think, is the best thing someone can do for themselves. Then the proper reading and the exercise, I think those all go along with it. So I'd say that's probably the most important thing that I've done for myself to help me. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Okay. What is one action step that you can take? right now or continue to take to meet that influencer that you need to meet to make the yes method blow up it it's it's do everything that is presented to you so when i was the old person i was i used to say to myself i can do everything myself i don't need help it's weakness to have help you never want to do that and once again if you reach this enlightenment thing you're just out there. You're doing your thing. And strangely enough, I don't know if it's an energy thing. I don't know exactly the way you speak. I don't know exactly what it is about you. But people just want to help you all of a sudden. And once that happens, you have all these voices giving you ideas. And it's wild what's happening right now. I have all these people. Listen, I, 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 I've heard the word podcast, to be very honest. I didn't even know what a podcast was eight weeks ago. I really <laughs> didn't know how it worked or what the story was. Very honest, of truth. And a patient that I had who I resolved her pain said, you know, and she has a business degree and she's involved in social media. She's like, you should become a guest on podcast because you have a tremendous story to tell. And you'll have an opportunity to reach the podcast listeners or audience. And that's a better way of you being able to get your message out. So um, that was an example. Um, it's just a lot of different things happening. So the, the answer to me is just be open every day. Do the most I can and simultaneously be listening and looking and, and, and be open to anything that's thrust upon you. You have no idea. And I can tell you this from personal experience. You have no idea that a simple idea that you might take today will completely transform your life 10 years from now. You, you just don't know what that's going to be. Nobody knows where they're going to be a year from now, five years from now, or 10 years. You'll think you know, but some simple little event or individual you meet could transform it all. So be open to it. Be open. Be, you know, have your eyes open, your ears open. Um, be out there. Be excited. People love to be around exciting people, stimulating people, happy people, enthusiastic people. Everyone wants to be around those people. And it just makes for a better chance for good ideas to come up. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Is there anything else you want to chat about before we sign off? Nope. Uh, I, I think the thrust of what I want to get across is that um, the Yacht Method is a diagnostic and treatment model. Um, it interprets the body's presentation of symptoms, which are the symptoms being created by the tissue in distress. And so you need to interpret your symptoms. You have to, at some point, walk away and recognize the reason you're still in pain is because 
you're not getting the right tissue because you've been dependent on diagnostic tests like x-rays and MRIs. So if you do recognize that you want the YAS method, the beautiful thing to understand is that the YAS method can be gotten through a Zoom session. That's the key. That's what I want everyone to know. You don't have to come to Jacksonville, Florida to get the YAS method. I've been doing this for six, seven, eight years already before there was even Zoom when it was just Skype and Skype was at its infancy. Um, but you can get this at home. Uh, all you need is a resistance band in a chair to do the exercises once you recognize it's muscular. The sessions are videotaped, which allows you to have that going forward to make sure you're doing your exercises, to make sure you reach the point at which your muscles are strong enough to do your activities without uh, breaking down and eliciting symptoms. And I, I just want people to know that this is a possibility. It's easy to do and it's available. So if it sounds uh, you watch this podcast and it sounds like something that will work for you, you could email me at Mitch at mitchellyas.com or go to my website, livewithoutpains, plural, livewithoutpains.com. And if you go to this schedule page, you'll be able to schedule a Zoom session for the day and time that's most comfortable for you. So please get the Yasmus. You do not have to have chronic pain. Chronic pain should never exist. It, uh, pain should be resolved in the, in the initial stage, at the acute stage. There's only one reason for chronic pain, and that is misdiagnosis. You're still treating the wrong tissue. Get the right treatment, the right, the, the right diagnosis, the right treatment. You will be out of pain, pain-free, fully functional, and you can reclaim your life. So please do so. Sounds good. Dr. Mitchell, yes. Yes. Thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Also, if you were listening to this and you vibed with anything he said, connect with him. If you know that influencer that he needs to take his the YAS method to the next level, make that connection. Like, let's get this out there. If you know somebody with chronic pain, send them this episode and please go leave us a five-star review on, um, what is it called? Apple, Apple podcast, iTunes, go, go shoot us a review and, um, connect with, uh, Dr. Mitchell Yass and yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming on the show. We're out. Thanks, Timothy. Guys, thanks for listening. Make sure to reach out to our guests and help them accomplish their dreams and goals if you resonated with them. If you're looking for any intentional masterminds or one-on-one -on -one coaching to accomplish your dreams and goals, make sure to check out the website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, and contact me either there or on social media. That's all I got. Have a blessed day.